1: Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State.
2: Life in Colorado.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Life in Colorado. I'm your host Maria Oliver and in case you didn't know, September is National Preparedness Month. So in addition to speaking with a couple representatives from DOLA, we're also going to take a little bit of a look back because five years ago, specifically five years ago this weekend, is the anniversary of the 2013 flood, the one where hundreds were displaced and millions of dollars worth of damage occurred we're going to speak to representatives from the city who are going to tell us about infrastructure changes and and things that have been put in place to make sure that those impacts never happen again of course we can't fight mother nature but we can try to prepare against her Hey, Richard, were you here in 2013?
0: Yes, I was. I was living in the Denver area, but I remember just being shocked at the the damage, the extensive damage, not only to people's property, but to the highway. It just washed out U.S. 34, I think. Um, There were a lot of people that uh, were wiped out with that.
1: Do you remember where you were during the Colorado floods? Uh, The millions of dollars in damage, the flash of rain that just devastated the area for weeks. We're going to look back, and and we're told there's some infrastructure changes, so it's not going to be a sad look back. It's going to be a look back at at what happened, and here's what we've done, and here's what's going to happen in the future. We have Natrice Bryant and Ian Hyde with us today. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.
1: And you are with what organization?
2: So we are with the Department of Local Affairs. We're also known as DOLA. And there's offices within our uh, department that one, Ian um, is the director of the resiliency office that sits under the division of local government that falls under DOLA.
1: Okay. Well, that that sounds incredibly important. (laughs) So we appreciate you taking time to talk with us. Now, let's go ahead and do a, a bit of a recap. Cut to five years ago. We'll start it out on, let's say, September the 9th.
2: Okay. So back in 2013, we had rains, and it was rains that Colorado has not seen in quite some time. And what happened is that there was so much rain, and it was such a continuous flow of rain. And so the communities that were majorly impacted were Lyons, Estes Park, Loveland, Longmont, Fort Collins, Larimer County specifically, Weld County as well, Evans, Milliken, Boulder, Jamestown, Manitou Springs, and Colorado Springs. So those were the communities that we saw the most impact. I'm not saying that other places in Colorado were not affected, but that is a lot of communities that were impacted. And so part of our role at DOLA is to, once something like that happens, is to help those communities rebuild. And what happened with the floods is that not only did we have a lot of rain, there was a lot of damage that was done. And I think it was close to about $2 billion that was done in damage. And so that includes agricultural damage, infrastructure, um, houses, things like that. So people lost a lot of things in that storm. And so each of the communities that I just named had different needs and different impacts that were given. And I'll let Ian kind of speak to a little bit of what those communities looked like after the storm.
1: Okay, Ian.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One thing that is important for us to to put in our minds in Colorado is our geography and our topography really drives the way that a major rainstorm and a flood plays out. So, we had flooding uh, to put into perspective. 24 counties total were impacted. We have 64 counties in Colorado. So, you're talking about a third of the state. When you have rain that starts way up in the mountains, it picks up velocity very fast. It's very violent flooding in the sense that rivers carve new channels, they wipe out bridges. We had two mountain canyons the US 36 uh, canyon from Lyons to Estes Park, as well as the US 34 canyon from Loveland to Estes Park that were both completely cut off. The road in some areas, was gone. Uh, We had that happen in canyons in Boulder County as well. So a lot of very significant infrastructure damage. But I think what's even more important is the number of households that we saw were impacted. We're talking 16,000 households that took on some sort of damage. And that means that even to this day, that's something that is a very significant, traumatic, difficult event for, for folks in their own lives. It's been amazing to see over the last five years how much everybody has come together, the way that they have really picked up and, and, and moved forward. But it's important to recognize what they all went through.
1: So did we end up with a lot of people being displaced during that? Or,
0: Yeah, in some longer than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was said that it was the largest air evacuation since Hurricane Katrina. In Colorado because we had these mountain communities that were completely cut off. And so we had the National Guard bringing in helicopters to evacuate people from places like Jamestown and and flying them out of those communities. So a number of folks were displaced. Uh, Some were able to get home a little bit sooner and others lost their homes entirely and it took some time to either purchase a new home or to repair their home or whatever it might be.
1: So long and short of it the the rain hit the mountains and just the velocity of it just swoosh kinda swoops down and just wiped yeah.
0: everything. Exactly. And then when you get to the plains and it's a little bit flatter, it spreads out further. And that's where we saw damages to agriculture, um, damages to to communities with a little bit more widespread flooding. Mm -hmm. uh, But but in both cases, very significant.
1: Let's talk a a little bit about that. I mean, definitely as as city folk, we're worried about our homes and our, our driveways. But what about the farming communities?
2: Right. So we are worried about our homes and I want to be clear that everybody in the state was impacted by that particular flood. But one thing I wanted to point out was the agricultural piece. And so when you look at the specific counties that we talked about, I have some statistics that will kind of give you an idea of how many farmers were impacted. So in Weld County, there was 24 farmers. Larimer County, there were 19 farmers. Boulder and the count in the surrounding areas around Boulder County there were 17 farmers and three of those were actually at a farm and 13 of them were in the city then you had a Longmont that had 13 farmers affected Milliken had five Loveland had two farmers um, Estes Park had one cattle company but the owner lived on her ranch but she was actually trapped in her place of where she lived in her residence and then there were other communities that were impacted was as far as agricultural, things go, but think about if you have that many farmers impacted we're not getting crops the way that we need to, we're not getting things to the city that need to get here. And those individuals lives, each of those individuals were impacted as far as financial income as well, because that's their livelihood. And so when you have that many people impacted and that many different farms, you have an impact on crops and things that come into the city. And so with Colorado, we have Colorado Proud, we have things that like really push forth on us using Colorado grown products. And I remember just having some shortages of some of those major crops and products that we use every day. That weren't coming to the city simply because they couldn't get here. Ian talked a little bit about the fact that there were some roads that were completely wiped out and people had to be evacuated via helicopter. That's a real life situation. That's not something that you kind of go through and then you just recover. So there's there's this whole impact that really happened with agriculture that I think people sometimes forget. Houses were flooded, absolutely. Bridges and things were taken out, but also our our agricultural makeup was actually impacted pretty significantly.
1: And that's definitely going to be an immediate trickle down, if you think about that, the, the farming, even if it's just mm-hmm. their workers or just their land that they've loved and cherished for so long that damaged financial but also kind of a, an emotional impact as well. The, the farming community is actually still the, the bedrock of who we are. Absolutely. We need food. Describe what life was like for you in the office, around about the office, because I'm sure you probably weren't sitting behind your desk. You had uh, quite a few things <laughs> to take right. care of. But describe for me the environment and, and the urgency and what how you decided the priorities and, and just – how you just took on this huge disaster, what were you feeling? What what were you thinking? What did you do?
2: So I actually was not at DOLA at the the time of the floods. I actually worked for another state agency. But this speaks to the volume and impact that actually happened. I worked at another state agency, but we were still impacted. We had to figure out how we're going to help our communities. What is it going to look like? The collaboration that came from the state of Colorado is amazing. I think that we can all speak to the fact that we are a very – community-focused state. And so I remember just constantly thinking, how are we going to get these businesses back into place? Because the organization that I was working for focused more on businesses and locality. So we were constantly trying to figure out how do we even get in touch with people? I think sometimes we take for granted that we rely so much on technology in order to communicate. And you had areas that didn't have electricity, that couldn't charge their cell phone to call for help, that couldn't reach out and say, I need you to come get me. And I think we see it on the news all the time. We see other communities that are impacted and people floating and you know stuck in water situations. That was a real life situation here. And so it, it became this, this effort to figure out how does everyone come together as a state, especially in government, um, to figure out how do we really help individuals that need help for their house, how do we help people that need business assistance, how do we help agricultural companies, how do we help farmers, and how do we figure out, one, how to get them out of the areas that they're in because they might not be safe at this point in time, but then the rebuilding component. And I think that's where DOLA came into place was figuring out how to help these communities rebuild.
0: All disasters begin local and they end local. They they begin right when the rain starts. They impact homes and communities and uh, everything is very local. And then the state comes in to help those communities. We come in to empower. And one of the important things that was happening right during the floods, uh, I worked for the Colorado Office of Emergency Management at the time. They managed the state emergency operations center. And so their job is to ensure that local first responders Uh, Local governments have the tools they need to protect life during the event uh, while the rain is still going on. Coordinating resources so they have the the equipment so that they have the tools that they need to be able to execute those really important life safety missions. And that's where it all starts. Then, as you move away from when the incident actually happens, the really hard work of recovery begins. That's something that lasts for years. We're we're still really at the peak of reconstruction activities five years later in some communities right now. And all of that gets going right as the floodwaters are still rising, right as people are still being impacted, and then it continues for some time after that. So all of our role, especially at, at DOLA and uh, some of our partner agencies, and there were many, many departments and state government involved from the beginning with this, was to give those communities the tools to rebuild in a way that hopefully the history won't repeat itself. We won't see as much damage next time. We'll be more resilient in the future.
1: And on that note, uh, let's go ahead and talk about some of the changes that have been put into place to make sure, or, or to try and ensure, because it's Mother Nature, and if she decides to do what she's going to do, she's going to do it. But what have we put in place as far as infrastructure? And, and you mentioned your association with preparedness. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. What have we done to make sure that we have a plan, that, that this doesn't happen to the severity? What has changed?
0: There are a number of things that have changed. In those conversations with local communities, one of the areas that we've prioritized is continually learning lessons, even as we're in the middle of the process. One of those first lessons is around collaboration. And so the legislature, in fact, just this year updated the act that guides how we respond to and recover from and reduce risk from disasters applying those lessons that we've learned over the past five or even six years with with other disasters that have happened. Part of that is that we're looking at when we're recovering, how do we reduce risk and what is involved with that, the way that infrastructure is designed. So That bridges won't be wiped out, so that homes won't be flooded. The way that we present risk information. We've invested in new floodplain maps so that we better understand what is the true risk from flooding uh, so that homeowners and businesses can get flood insurance, but also so that communities, when they're building greenways and trails or redesigning their river channels, can take that risk into account and hopefully reduce that risk as much as possible. So we always, even as we're rebuilding and trying to get back to the way things were, are trying to get them to a place where they're even safer than they were before.
1: Now, you mentioned bridges, Mm -hmm. and and I, I think you said about 38 bridges. One of my fears, my irrational fears, mind you, is of being trapped on a bridge in an emergency. I can't swim. Mm -hmm. the fear, the isolation, the intensity of that. What infrastructure changes or or strengthening of our structures has occurred to, to kind of keep that fear from becoming people's reality, which I've seen from several videos it was.
2: It was some people's realities, and I think the way that you can look at the way some of these communities rebuilt, and this is kind of what Ian was speaking to, we've gone higher with our bridges. Obviously, when you look at how high the bridges were, You've got some places that were in place and some bridges and some infrastructure that was in place since the early 1940s, 1950s that didn't have to, there was no need to change how it was. And so there's some places, and I can share some of those specific stories with you, that actually elevated things, made it higher so that if it were to flood, that people were still able to get out. There's some situations where you had bridges where they were flooded on part one side of the bridge and not the other. And that that did happen. But then you also had bridges that were completely wiped out. So Longmont, for example, rebuilt their bridge, and they just did a grand reopening back in June to celebrate that grand reopening. But there were many changes that were made from the ground up on how you plan for those types of things. So I think that your fear is a real fear. You you see things like that actually happening, especially if you can't swim. That's also very terrifying. There's different things that communities have done to make it so that their community is safer, and I think that's what Ian was actually speaking to, is how it started locally, and they figured out, in collaboration, what needed to actually go, go forward.
0: And you asked about the preparedness aspect. There's a very important public safety message when it comes to flooding uh, that the federal government, state government, local government, uh, anybody uses, and it's... Don't drown, turn around. So if you see floodwaters rising, get to higher ground. You know, sometimes it may not be the best option to go over that bridge when it's starting to flood, and then you get trapped and those floodwaters are moving so fast. So the the most important thing that you can do is try to get up to higher ground uh, to not try to go – through or over floodwaters when that's happening. But Natrice's point is, is also correct that we're looking at the way that roads and bridges are designed so that they can accommodate more floodwater. There's also some other benefits to communities. There's some communities who have built greenways along rivers that during drier times are great for recreation, great for going for a walk or riding your bike. But there are also tools to take on more flood water and not impact homes or businesses or roads as well. And so that's the kind of thinking that we've seen throughout the flood impact areas. To protect his family from disaster, Steve used his camera phone. Done. By taking pictures of his important documents, Steve can always have them stored online. Learn more simple disaster prep tips at ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council.
1: And we're back. Thank you so much for staying with us for Life in Colorado. We're speaking with Natrice and Ian from DOLA. Could this happen again?
0: It's not a matter of if it'll happen again. It's a matter of when it will happen again. Colorado has had floods before uh, in 1929, in 1965, 1976, 2013. There was a flood in Fort Collins in 1997. We don't know exactly where, but we do know that we have risk from flooding. We do know we have risk from wildfires, and these disasters do happen in our state. And that's where it's so important to be prepared to understand what your risk is and to do everything you can to protect yourself.
1: What can individuals do to protect their homes and or businesses in the event of a flood?
2: There's been several different components that have been put forth by localities to help people understand how to not have their house flood. They can actually build up, they build higher, and they actually place themselves on what's somewhat of a platform. So you'll see sometimes in smaller communities where their house is elevated off the ground. It's not sitting into the ground. What happens when you think about flooding, if you think about your basement flooding, right? So the water comes in, comes in, and then it floods your basement or it floods your house. If you elevate your house, whether it be two feet, three feet, whatever that looks like, that water no longer goes into your home. You've got blockage that goes around. So there's different types of mechanisms that have been utilized by each of the communities to help with flooding and to help reduce it. Like Ian said, it's not a matter of if it'll happen again, it's just when. And it's not to scare people. It's to put people in perspective that we live in Colorado. There are certain communities that are in a bowl. Where if you think of a bowl, if things are poured into the bowl, the bottom part of the bowl is where the water comes and, or milk or whatever it is that you're pouring into your bowl, and it goes up. So you've got some communities that are just simply built in a floodplain, and that's what it is. And there's we're not going to be able to move them out of that particular area, but what we can do is help them be prepared when it does happen again. So it's not it's not saying that we're going to prevent flooding, because that's not a reality. That's something that we need to be realistic about. But if we can help people understand, like if you elevate your house, or if you build higher, or if you don't necessarily put your home, if you're building a new home, and place it right at the bottom of a mountain, then there's less likelihood of your house becoming flooded or Im- impacted by some of the natural disasters that do happen. We can't prevent natural disasters. There's not anything that humans can do to make it not rain or make the fires not happen because we've got a drought that we're dealing with and we also have a lot of rain that does that could happen. So the only thing we can do is help communities be prepared.
0: A couple of quick steps that folks can take. The first is to arm themselves with information. And so... Uh, there's a website, Ready Colorado, that they can visit uh, to go and find out some important preparedness tips, not just for floods, but, again, for wildfires, for other disasters as well. Another website uh, to learn what their risk from flooding may be is FloodSmart.gov. That is where they can learn about uh, where there are flood maps. Um, they can see uh, what what risk looks like in their community, but they can also learn about uh, purchasing flood insurance. There's a very common misconception that only people who are in a mapped 100-year floodplain are able to buy insurance. That's not the case. So learning about that, learning about what flood risk looks like in their communities, also understanding that you know if you see a river and you see water nearby, even if you're not identified on that map, you may have some flood risk. We had people who were not in the mapped 100-year floodplain who were impacted in the 2013 floods. So really starting with arming yourself with information. Go visit Ready, Colorado. Learn some of those preparedness tips. Uh, think about things like insurance. Those those are very important first steps to, to protect yourself financially from the impacts of floods.
1: Given that our, our listeners are basically the, the matriarchs, the patriarchs, the business owners in our community, what words of wisdom or, or what would you like to pass along to them as far as prevention and protecting themselves?
2: Um, one thing I want to just point out is what Ian said, we really need to make sure people are prepared. I think a lot of times we're a very reactive society and not a proactive society. So we react when things happen. Oh my goodness, like there's rain outside, it's flooding. What can I do now? It's too late by the time that actually happens. So do visit those websites. Do even come on our website, colorado.gov forward slash DOLA. We have a lot of different tools that are available. And I think what happens is that people become so complacent and thinking that it can't happen to me. And then when it does happen to you, it's it's a panic. And you're always constantly trying to figure out, what do I do next? And so if you have those tools, you're educating yourself on what needs to be done, then you can minimize the impact that happens when some sort of natural disaster does happen happen, whether it be a tornado, whether it be hail. We've had a lot of hail lately. Just arming yourself with those tools and those things. I think a lot of people think because we live in Colorado, you don't need flood insurance or you don't need certain types of insurance. So make sure you're armed with the things that you need as an individual. If it's for your business, if it's for your home, make just do a quick check. Call your insurance company and say, hey, do I have all the coverage that I could potentially need? There's nothing wrong with calling and making sure. What happens after the fact is that you call and realize that you're not covered. And then that's when the panic starts to happen. So just making sure you arm yourself with the things that you need. Another thing I wanted to point out is that our communities are resilient. We have some of the best localities across the state um, that really do care about the people that live in their communities. And so they will do what they need to make sure that their community members have have what they need. It, whether it's coming together as a community and hosting like a bake sale to get money and raise money for people who were impacted. We saw some of the best community drives during this time in times when people had lost everything. So just making sure that you know you stay impacted with your community, stay connected with your community and making sure that you have everything that you need for any type of disaster that could happen.
0: To tell a a quick story going back to those first days after the floods, one of the first things that Governor Hickenlooper said was that we're going to build back better, stronger, and more resilient. One of the first things I heard from uh, the, the mayors of places like Lyons and Jamestown is how do we build back better than it was before? How are we safer? And this is even as they still didn't have utilities, they still had roads and bridges that were out. They were thinking from the very beginning about how do we make our communities safer? How do we not just build back what was there before? To accomplish that, which they have done a tremendous amount, their their business communities, their residents have been really, really important and central to making that happen. So one thing that, that we always encourage is get involved with your community. Go to public meetings. Comment on those designs for, for those parks and those roads and those bridges and, and about what you want for your community in the future. Um tell your your elected officials and the staff uh, not only what you hope for your community, but also thank them because they've been working incredibly hard for the the last few years. Um, And then we also extend our thanks to the business community. There are examples where businesses were helping other businesses, even if they were in the same industry. Oscar Blues is a great example of Uh, using their Candidate Foundation to provide funding to other businesses who are really hurting after the floods. And so businesses are really important for keeping keeping that ball rolling, even as hard times are happening, and they have been absolutely fantastic.
2: Do you have any events coming up? We do. On September 10th, we will be in the town of Lyons commemorating the five-year anniversary of the floods. The governor will be present. We'll have FEMA there. We've invited several of the partners that worked with us to make sure that Colorado recovered, like the governor has stated, even stronger and harder than we did before. So that event is from ten to eleven thirty. It's at Bone Park in Lyons, Colorado. All are welcome. Anyone who wants to attend, we'll have some very cool moments that are uh, there. We'll be having a ribbon cutting. We'll have people kind of go through the area in Bone Park, which was heavily impacted by the floods Um, and they'll be able to walk over the boardwalk you talked about bridges that were damaged they'll be able to walk over a bridge that actually was uh, impacted in the particular storm they'll be able to see the before and after photos as well so we'll be providing before and after photos from the town to show where what it was what happened during the flood and then you can actually physically see while you're standing there what it is now
1: That does it for our show this week. We've been speaking with Natrice Bryant and Ian Hyde there with Dola. Gave us a little bit of a look back and definitely some perspective on the future. Richard Robertson is our show producer. I'm Maria Oliver, and this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.